0: Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals and scientists about why they connect with nature.
1: Ray Zahab is a Canadian explorer, ultra distance runner and founder of Impossible to Possible, a recent recipient of the Meritorious Service Cross of Canada, Ray is an explorer in residence of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society and fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. In 2015, Canadian Geographic recognized Ray as one of Canada's top explorers. He has ran over 17,000 kilometers across the world's deserts and unsupported expeditions in some of the coldest places on the planet. Ray calls the Capital Region home where you can see him training, playing, and exploring in his own backyard. Please welcome the incredible Ray Zahab. Ray Zahab, welcome to Let's Take This Outside.
0: It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: I know who you were for a couple of reasons through the community, but we've actually met a couple of times, but the most memorable time has to be at Camp Fortune. So I was running hills and you and your beautiful wife were doing the same and I nerded out, asked you a bunch of questions. We ended up chatting at the bottom of the hill for like 45 minutes. So first of all, how do you get anything done in nature when you're as well known and social as you are?
0: Well, okay. Like, I mean, that's like totally like <laughs> a loaded one of those questions. Cause like, that's like not, that just doesn't happen. No, listen, I love being out on the trails and meeting up with people. I remember meeting up with you. I love, I love sharing in something that everybody loves to do, right? Like, you know what it's like, like you're out there on the trails and you're meeting up with people that have a similar interest to you and passion for the outdoors. You know, I find that really exciting. I love doing that and I love talking to people about, you know, trails. I just just yesterday or the day before, I was on my trails behind my place. They're not my trails, but they're <laughs> behind my house. And someone, and I said, oh, have you tried? They're all unmarked trails, like unnamed routes. But I said, if you tried this trail, I was explaining. They're like, no, I haven't tried that. And I said, oh, you got to go check it out. And so just sharing that is, is something that I love to do because – We're connected in the outdoors by that same love of the outdoors. So anyhow, I love doing stuff like that.
1: Just to confirm, do you live in Gatineau Park?
0: So right on the edge of Gatineau Park. So we live in Chelsea and very close to the Gatineau Park. And I've lived in Chelsea since 2000. Specifically where we live now, we've lived here since 2009. And it's great. I mean, we're very close to the park proper through a series of trails and whatnot. So, I mean, there's trailheads 50 meters from our house. I mean, it's one of the reasons we chose to live here because we wanted to have access to the outdoors, not only for us, but for our daughters as well. Mm-hmm. And that quality of life that's important to us, which is being outside.
1: Something that I think we might have in common is our love for for the area because you've been from the Arctic to the Sahara, to all over the world. And there's something about the area and the Gatineau Park trails that you can still get your training done while enjoying nature. So what is it about there? There's always like a geek fest about Gatineau Park whenever I do this, Uh, but for you, what is, what is Gatineau Park and what is living in that area mean for you?
0: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, being in Gatineau Park, just that access to outdoors, but what makes it so special, obviously we're 15, 20 minutes from the nation's capital, right? So, I mean, you've got a large urban center, it's a community where there's a lot of kids the same age as our kids, and they're all doing outdoor sports. It's a four season community in the sense that you can be on some of the best cross country ski trails in the world, literally in the world in winter, and be you know fat biking, alpine skiing, even ice climbing, doing things like that. And then in the summer, the trail running, the mountain biking, the hiking, uh, the paddling. It's all just absolutely epic out here. And so I love that aspect of it, that the accessibility to the outdoors is, is it's, it's right there. It's a very unique place because of that. And in all the places that I've traveled to, I mean, there's a lot of great outdoor spots all over the world, you know, where that there is that accessibility in, within communities. But I think Chelsea's just one of those, and Wakefield, like this area, the Gatineau Park region is just one of those crazy spots that just, you know, happens to be uh, where it is. And then, you know, a population grows around it.
1: I listened to another podcast you were on a couple of years ago. I think it might've been Kelly Dells, but you were a prime example of it's never too late. So I remember hearing the story that, you know, you used to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and now you're running these ultra crazy distances. I would love for you to share that story and that transition to where you are now on this podcast, because it's a wonderful story. Well,
0: I appreciate that. It's funny since I've been on this journey and it's been a long one now, it's like I'm into this game over 20 years now, you know, 20 years ago, it didn't seem like, at least I didn't know a lot of people that were, you know, finding this sort of life transformation, which I've subsequently come to learn. There's tons of people that have but at the time i was nearing the age of 30 and i was just i've come to realize a very unhappy person and very unsatisfied with where my life was i was having, you know good times great friends all that jazz but i just inside deep inside was just not satisfied with who i was and everything else and and the direction that i was going and the lack of passion that i had in my life And my younger brother, John, had become this endurance athlete, and he was a mountain biker and a paddler, and he was doing all these crazy sports, and he was really good at them. And I thought, wow, if I could feel just a little bit like he does, I think my life would be different. And so I decided that I was going to quit this, not sedentary lifestyle, but more or less. I mean, I wasn't involved in the sorts of things that he was doing. And, you know, smoking a pack a day, I was going to like, give it all up and just try and change my life. And it led me on a path to sort of rediscovering me as a person, like that I had this genetic engine to go out and do these things, you know, these long bouts of endurance, like my brother did and challenging myself, like for the first time in my life, like taking risks and doing things that I was really uncomfortable with and actually in some odd way, enjoying it and learning from it. And it would lead me from. You know, a guy smoking a pack a day, to racing mountain bikes all over the world to doing ultra marathons all over the world and competing in ultra marathons. As a matter of fact, the first running race I did was a hundred mile running race in the Yukon, and I won it. And <laughs> I thought to myself, "Wow, maybe I should be doing this." And so I started doing these <laughs> ultra marathons, and I like I, I loved the fact that running was the thing that was teaching me that human beings in general are capable of exceeding any limits that we think we have. As corny as that sounds, I started to, like, I I was learning that myself in doing it, that it wasn't something that necessarily, doesn't mean you got to go run a hundred miles somewhere, but I was learning from running that we underestimate ourselves, human beings in general, you know, and that there is a different version of ourselves if we're looking for it, you know, and it doesn't matter what we do. It can be in any field of study, arts, whatever. Whatever it is that you know we're passionate about. So at any rate, that would eventually lead me through six degrees of separation and serendipity and all the rest of it to running across the entire Sahara Desert, which was seven thousand five hundred kilometers in one hundred eleven days. And that really was sort of a, a huge pivot point for me because that's when I decided that I was going to do expeditions professionally and that that was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And since then. I've done, I don't know, if you include the youth expeditions with Impossible to Possible my foundation I'm well over 30 expeditions.
1: People may have seen running the Sahara with Matt Damon who I know voices it and you were in it. How did that even come about because I need I still need I saw my list to go watch but I wanted to talk to you first about it and and get even more pumped up about it.
0: It's a long time ago. It was, you know, 2007 that documentary came out, 2007-2008. And it's still on iTunes now. And in the United States, I think it's on Netflix and all those, but I'm not 100% sure. But at any rate, yeah, you know what? Like anything in life, one person talks to another and you're never that far away from people. And it was my teammate, Charlie, who had friends in that business that had mentioned it to friends of theirs, who'd mentioned it to other friends of theirs, and eventually landed on the desk of James Mall, the director he's an Academy award-winning director. And he was like, wow, there's like no way these guys can do this, but it'd make a hell of a film basically. And so he approached these other folks. And one of them was Matt Damon and Matt Damon decided, yeah, let's make a documentary out of this and let's use it as a way to raise awareness for the water crisis in North Africa and fundraise off it. They had an entire program created out of the documentary film. Like you know, a fundraising initiative and everything else.
1: Can we go back to the first you said the first race you did was a hundred miles. And I know that you stopped smoking cigarettes and you made the transition. And I know it wasn't a couple months. I'm guessing it was over maybe a couple years. Is that a good estimate? Oh yeah. Maybe? yeah, I know for sure. But okay. <laughs>
0: it took me it took me like <laughs> three years to quit smoking. It's like the hardest thing I ever did. And some people it's super easy, but it taught me that difficult things are very relative to us as individuals, right? Like I mean it's very hard to compare yourself to someone else something that you feel and you're living in a reality is how you feel and so it is what it is right and so it was very difficult for me to overcome that but when I eventually did finally quit smoking completely you know that was sort of like an overnight like I was like all right starting tomorrow I'm not doing this anymore and it was really hard now from that point to my first ultra marathon it was four years give or take and then I ran that first ultra.
1: I think people think that things just kind of happen overnight, but like, again, that takes a long time. I know you mentioned the genetic part of it too, because you won your first hundred mile race, but when you were running that race and you, won, did you know you won it? Cause I know when you're like, those a hundred. No, like,
0: no, no, you no, know? no, I had no idea. I, you like, didn't know? There's only 40, there's only like 45 people in this race,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: So you can assume you can think like, Oh my God, maybe there's a possibility, but you're not in that race in subsequent races. I would think that way. But in that race, I was like, just trying to survive, like just trying to go as hard as I could at the end. It's a much longer story. And I literally crossed that finish line. And I was like, I can't believe I'm here. And no one was there. And I thought you gotta be kidding me. Like no one waited around for me to finish. Like there's, there's 45 people. In that you, you could run different lengths, you could run a marathon, you could run the 100 mile, or you could. I think they even had a 200 mile that year, they had a longer version, even. And I chose the 100 mile, 160k, because I thought that's pretty good distance to start with. We're gonna start <laughs> running, do a running race, right? And I say that uh, obviously facetiously. So, finishing that, and then the race director basically being the one to explain to me that I had won. It was like, it was not computing because I had never won anything that involved me exhausting myself to the maximum, taking everything I had to reach that finish line. Right. So it was really something else because I never pictured myself as the number one sporty guy. You know, he flashbacks to high school phys ed where I was like last kid picked for any ball sports, any of that stuff. Right. Like, you know, I wasn't the sporty guy.
1: You see, like these Olympic athletes who are just like genetically made to swim, to run, and sometimes, like without being introduced to said sport, they might not have ever uh, actually been able to do it. So, do you think you maybe struck gold a little bit by seeing your brother doing it and then realizing you're like, "Oh, I can run these things, and I'm made to do this"? And then maybe what percentage of that is just pure determination and training and work?
0: Well, it's four years of life that I'm trying to distill down into a few sentences. It's a process you go through. Like, I don't think it's like I just said, oh, okay, I'm going to try. You know, like, it was a process. And over those years, and when I eventually tried, I was like, wow, I mean, I can do this, right? And so, you know, since then have put in, for every expedition that I go on, a tremendous amount of work and effort. So it's a mix. It's a recipe. Like there is with anything. I admire artists. Like, I think art is just absolutely incredible. One of my neighbors is an incredible artist. And just what she creates, I just can't believe it. And I'm like, where does that come from? Right? And we each have our thing inside us that we're able to do, that we love to do. And for me, it's exploration. Whether I'm on my feet running, whether I'm on my skis, skiing across an Arctic region, it's being in these places. And to be honest with you, it's being in these places like deserts or Arctic regions in their most extreme time of year. Like I like being in deserts in the summer. I like being in the Arctic regions in winter. I love experiencing these places when they're their most in our mind defined. So what does the Arctic look like in the middle of winter? I want to be there. And then further to that, the friendships that I've made in these various places that I visit have been extraordinary. And I have friends all over the world because of adventure. So I think adventure for me has been a way to not only learn about myself, but also learn about other people, make lifelong friends, learn about culture, learn about history, learn about all these different elements. And then lastly to that, share it with students in classrooms who follow my expeditions, which is a huge part of why I do what I do.
1: And we're going to talk about Impossible to Possible in a couple minutes. Uh, But even this year, you've been on an Arctic expedition. You were just in California, right? You just got back?
0: Yeah, I was in California down there because Impossible to Possible is based in Whittier Mm -hmm. in California. And so we were doing a meeting about that and some stuff there. And then, of course, with our coffee business, Capric One, we were meeting with some of our roasters, the people that are going to be doing our roasting, sorry the facility in Southern California, because we'll be roasting in California as well as in Canada, in Ottawa.
1: And I do want to talk uh, about Capic One too. But going from those those extremes, from the desert to the Arctic, it probably sounds like they are complete opposite. But I almost want to ask you, what do they have that's so similar? Is it the extreme nature of it?
0: I love them because they are so different. And their experiences are different. Even the way you go about planning and executing the expedition is completely different. You know, when you're on a desert expedition, I like to move fast and light. That's always my philosophy. Move as fast as I can, Um, whether it's pulling a sled with skis in the Arctic or running across the desert in the summer. I like to move as swiftly as I can because I'm a very impatient person. But also, um, you know, be able to experience the environment. So in the Arctic because you can pull a sled and there's snow all around you to melt for water, you can go self-contained or unsupported or any variation thereof. But in the desert, to go unsupported would mean hauling some giant cart full of water. I'm just not interested in doing that. So I choose to go with minimal resupplies when I'm in the deserts, whether I'm going nonstop across Death Valley or running for 2000 kilometers across the Gobi Desert or, a little less than that across the Namib Desert. You know, I'm taking a backpack and I'm running, you know, 20K at a time or 30K at a time to a resupply point and experiencing the desert that way in the middle of summer. I love the difference between the two. I think your follow-up question was going to be, which do I prefer, the cold or the heat? And I, I was going to you know, say, which I, one sucks more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know what? I, I, So I, they're both notoriously difficult. I've been frostbitten incredibly. I I have a hard time dealing with the cold. I find the cold very difficult to deal with. But I absolutely love the Canadian Arctic in winter. I just love it. It's just so, it's such a mystical and beautiful place. The sky, the color of the sky is just, it's incredible as the sun is just breaking the horizon. You know, like that's when I like to be there, right? But some of the desert expeditions have been the most difficult things I've done you can always put on another layer in the heat it's like you get to a point where the heat is so oppressive that there's your body won't cool anymore like it just simply stops to cool so that's the part of it that makes it so difficult
1: i even want to go back to a second when you said you're too impatient so you just keep going so it's almost like let's scrap the whole preparedness part of it and be like you're just fueled completely by impatience <laughs> <laughs> to get through the yeah. expeditions.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's that, you know, like inability to stay focused on anything and just, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I like things to move along and I got to get from point A to point B. And I'm really, when people say to me, well, you know, and the days are really hard and you don't think you could take another step, what motivates you? So I got to be honest with you. It's like not knowing what's around the bend. That for me is a huge thing. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson.
1: You have adventured all over the world. But one of my favorite things to see on social media is seeing you exploring with your family and your daughters. Trail running, cross-country skiing. One of your daughters just got a kayak, a new kayak perhaps?
0: Yeah. So my oldest daughter is racing. She races spring kayak and she's very passionate about it and very serious about it so she just got a new kayak and one of my mountain bikes got sold so she could get a kayak and so i mean they're right into it right they love sports but we obviously as social media always does we show the great stuff right so you know there's been many days where we go to get out the door as a family my wife's an amazing ultra runner
2: and we yeah, go to get out is. the door
0: and the girls just aren't feeling it that day. So guess what? We don't go that day. So we've tried to never really pressure them. You know, like obviously we've, we're also trying to teach them, Hey, listen, you know, you committed to something, don't give up. I mean, try to see it through if you can. Right. So if we're out on a trail and it's getting tough and we're already out there. Well, let's just see where it can go, you know, but you know, we tried to have no or very little pressure. And so it's not about. Results. It's about them having a passion and a love for being out there, you know, and exploring and being in the outdoors. That's what's super important to us.
1: Well, they're clearly taking on trail running, but it sounds like they're also adapting to their own loves too, that maybe you aren't a part of or some things that you don't do, right?
0: That must be cool to see. Absolutely. It's amazing. I mean, like the kayaking is a perfect example. I couldn't even sit on one of those kayaks. I mean, I'd flip it for sure, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I remember uh, when we were chatting at Camp Fortune, and uh, I met your wife for a second too. And you told me that, and, and I would love to know how you found each other too. But she's a very accomplished distance runner as well, so you must do some training together too.
0: I mean, she's super busy with work, mm-hmm. and combine that with the two kids, and you know our own my own work as well, which is in weird hours because I'm communicating with people all over the world. As is she, so we try to get out once a week. That's sort of our commitment. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I mean she's she's done really great. She's done all the the two hundred milers in the US uh, that that series. What? The yeah, the Moab and the Bigfoot and, and Tahoe. So she's done all three of those. I mean that's her thing. But she works so much that she has limited time to train. So between her work and her training it's it's that's what's the most inspiring for the girls in me is to see her go and do these things. I'm the crew, right? So I go and I crew her, you know, see her do these events with the four days a week that she gets to train or sometimes five days a week, you know? So.
1: What's it like to be crewing for your wife who click like 200 miles is just like, it's very hard for, I think, any average human or any even athletic human to, to wrap their head around that. What's that like to see your wife accomplish those races and crew her and support her?
0: It's totally inspiring, but I mean, you know, she's not afraid, you know how it is. You get tired, hungry, crabby. She's not afraid to be crabby with me. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> like the other people on the crew, she's nice with. So I get the brunt of all of the, you know, all the bad stuff that's happening. I get all that, but you know, all kidding aside, it's it's great. I mean, I, I really enjoy crewing. And I especially enjoy crewing her cuz it's a lot of fun. We go with a group of friends and and we make it fun, you know? We have a plan and most of the times we could stick to the plan and she goes and she does these things. But it's just crazy seeing her like she's just so focused when she's doing these things that it's more than it's the physical, it's her mental ability so strong that she can just power through and get it done even when she's a wreck.
1: Well, it must have something to do with the fact that she's trying to balance work and, you know, you guys have a family and training. Like there must be like a a mile threshold or a kilometer threshold where it becomes all mental. If you could put a number to it, what do you think that is?
0: I couldn't put a number to it. I think it's very relative to individuals. (laughs) I really do. I think it's, you know, it's up to the person.
1: What's it for you?
0: It depends on the conditions. I mean, that's such a hard question, you know, and it's, I don't know if you've noticed this, but everything these days it seems we have to be able to define and compartmentalize. When sometimes there's just no answer, like just the way that's just the way it is. <laughs> there's no there's no answer, you know. And so that's kind of falls into that category. I, I don't really have an answer for that. I know that you know sometimes when I'm feeling really good, I feel like I could go for others hours mm-hmm. and ever. Mm-hmm. But other times I'm like, oh my god, this is like going to be the worst thing ever. So it all depends on the day and what I'm doing, and the environment I'm in, and everything else.
1: Something that you stream a lot of your energy into and why you do your expeditions is Impossible to Possible. And you stream a lot of that energy into helping youth go on expeditions and youth see the world in a different way. Tell me about Impossible to Possible and how people can support and find out more.
0: Yeah, so right up until like a year or so before the pandemic, we were doing these youth expeditions every year, sometimes twice a year. And taking young people 16 to 21 years of age on expeditions that were free of charge. Everybody's a volunteer, and they're all learning based expeditions. So we would go into places like the Amazon and study biodiversity, or go to Utah and study dinosaurs, or go to Rajasthan and study access to healthcare. And we would create curriculums around these expeditions. And so the curriculums are taught by our youth ambassadors doing the expeditions as they make their way across. A geography of some sort. And so it's part endurance, part education, part empowerment. You've got a group of young people who are totally motivating and inspiring their peers in classrooms. Like tens of thousands of kids have been on these things before in schools, following these youth expeditions, which by the way, play out live on a live website by satellite, and everything else. So all the content is, is real time. It's very rewarding. I mean, you know, obviously since the pandemic, Things shut down completely, and now we're trying to get things going again. And funding is difficult. We were supposed to do a big youth expedition this year. We simply did not have the funding, so we'll have to go next year. We're shooting for next year. We'll be making an announcement about that very soon. And so, it's the passion part about what I, of what I do. You know, it's what I love to do.
1: What's the biggest thing you've learned from taking? youth on these expeditions and seeing them learn and grow and take it all in?
0: I think it's that at the end of the day, the effect the outdoors can have on young people and on people's health in general is massive. And I think that there needs to be more access to the outdoors for people, no matter where you live, no matter where you live, whether you're urban setting or rural or It's having that access to the outdoors, fresh air, being able to explore, I think is really important. It's something that anyone and everyone can benefit from.
1: Something that has come up a lot on this podcast is not only uh, making the outdoors more accessible for everyone, but also being more welcoming to people in in nature. Because sometimes it can get a little clicky. Sometimes it can get a little bit too, maybe not dominating, but people can get a little bit too like, this is my trailer. This is like this is my parkway or this is, you're right. I think some people can be a little bit too not welcoming in the outdoor space. So hearing you say that is really refreshing to hear you talk about like, this is meant for everyone.
0: I haven't experienced that, but I hear you. I mean, I, if that's your experience and that's your experience. And I just think it's, especially during the pandemic, right? Everybody was like locked up and you're in your house and all that jazz, especially if you live downtown in a flat or whatever. And, You got no fresh air. I mean, you really see the effects on people's health, right? Also, being in the outdoors, not from a healthful perspective, but being in the outdoors and being able to explore whether it's like your park in your city, an urban park or not, being connected to nature gives you a better appreciation of the planet and for the health of the planet and understanding how we aren't separate from the ecosystem. I mean... There's a separation that's created, right, in our day-to-day lives between us and the forests, for example. But we all exist in the same time and space on the same planet, breathing the same air, utilizing the same resources, fresh water, etc. And so I think that having that connectivity with the outdoors gives us a better appreciation to want to preserve the planet as well.
1: I 100% agree, and specifically, I haven't felt unwelcome in the outdoors. I'm am thinking more marginalized groups. That's what that's what I'm thinking. About. Okay, yeah, not me yeah, as a white woman. I'm talking yeah. about people who are more marginalized than me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah th- that's that's what I'm thinking. Is and how can we be more welcoming and make it more accessible? So yeah, that's yeah. what I meant by that. Yeah, yeah. In
0: a perfect world, we'd find ways. You know, obviously, we're doing our little thing, but to give youth an opportunity, no matter where they come from, to get a chance to be outside. I just that's that's what I've noticed. I've noticed that from small dent we're making that we've noticed that it has an effect for sure not only on the kids that are on the expeditions but on the kids that are in the classrooms. We see them then wanting to go out and learn about their own backyards. And I've had youth that were in schools observing older kids on expeditions and then years later they're on one of our expeditions and I'm like, well, how'd you end up on one of these youth expeditions? Oh, it was, I, when I was in elementary school, you guys had a youth expedition and my teacher followed it. So you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Because of that, I started hiking or yeah, because of that, I started riding my bike and here I am. One thing leads to another. So I just, I, there's a cause and effect in being outside, I guess.
1: You are doing your part, and thank you for everything you do for impossible to possible. And I know you have to go in a second, so I just want to ask you about Capic One, your coffee company. It's newer. Can you tell me a little bit about that before you have to go?
0: Yeah, for sure. So Capic One is actually we're a guiding company, so we we conduct trips all over the world for adults to go on expeditions that are modeled on the youth based expeditions, but we go to some pretty awesome places and adventure trips. And subsequent to that, you know, we started creating our own coffee, because we love coffee. It's part of yes. our, our entire team is like addicted to coffee. Ever yeah. since day one, we've all been like, we have this hashtag, no coffee, no expedition. And it's like legit. <laughs> if nobody has good coffee, we're not going. And um, so we were initially going to make the coffee for ourselves, but it was so good. We were like, what the hell? Let's, let's start selling coffee and give people a little taste of what we love so much. And so that's how we started it. So it's Capic one. And in the Ottawa area, because your podcast, I'm assuming, is based in Ottawa. It's
1: based in Ottawa, yeah.
0: Right. You can get our coffee in retail at Bushtaka, Kunstats and Eurosports. But uh, it's also available online. At capic1.com, so you can get that, or you can even book a trip with us as well. So
1: yes, and now I'm now like the the gears are turning in my head. I will put all the links to all your, your social media, impossible, possible, capic1. I'll put it all in the show notes. Raise Ahab. I know you have to go and take care of some family stuff. Thank you so much for taking time for me today.
0: Thank you. You got it. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to let's take this outside.ca.
2: Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.